Hey G Tool family, welcome to our podcast. We are so excited to have you here. We know this message will draw you closer to God's word, his will, and his way wherever you are. Enjoy the message. Every encounter with Jesus touches my heart because everybody's different. Everybody is fearfully and wonderfully made and everybody has something different on their life. And everyone that you meet is completely different than the last person. Even if they were twins, they're still completely different. And it's so amazing because we serve a God that knows every one of them. Our Father knows everyone on the planet and how we can find out information about somebody that we're talking to is actually have the same love that God has for us as he has for them, that we could actually have that same love. And that is love God with all of our hearts, our souls, our minds, and our strength, and then love our neighbor as ourselves. So no matter who I encounter, no matter where I'm at, everybody that I talk to at all times, no matter when, they are my neighbor. Even if they hate me, they're still my neighbor. And it's so important to get that because the basis for sharing your faith is the love of God. That's why I teach, that's why we, our heart cry here at Lifestyle Christianity is to teach and to share and to train in the word identity. Knowing who we are in Christ and knowing who Christ is in us. Understanding that God's our father, understanding that we're sons and we're daughters. The priority is sonship. It's definitely not works because evangelism has been done by works for years and years. In other words, we just, years and years and years. So people go out, they do their one outreach, and then wow, that church did their outreach for the year or whatever, and people know and see the church coming. They can sniff that coming. And it's actually works-oriented. Not that it doesn't bring souls into the kingdom, but this should be a lifestyle. A lifestyle should be sharing your faith. A lifestyle should be bringing people to Jesus. A lifestyle where you are living, you're the living, breathing God addition of who he created you to be, and your awareness of who he says you are is, is so powerful. Your awareness of your value is so powerful. The video that you just watched was actually um, done in Florida um, when we had come off of a ship. We were actually waiting for our plane. We had some hours to, to, to just do stuff before we were, we were waiting for a flight. And so we just got a, an Uber driver. And Uber drivers are amazing and they're constantly, they're, you we're in the car with them all the time. And it's so powerful to be able to share your faith even if they don't believe. You can still share their faith because everybody wants to be loved by Jesus. And if we could walk and live like the Bible says, like I shared even yesterday, last night, I shared in our, in our encounter night here, that the reality of Jesus saying that if anybody, First John, if anybody says that they abide in him, they ought to walk just like Jesus walked. If anybody has this hope in him, they ought to purify themselves just as he is pure. It says if anybody, that means anybody, That means you, me, anybody that says they love Jesus, your whole life should line up that you love Jesus, not just in your words, but in your actions. So what has happened over the years is the evangelism has been said, well, that guy has the office of evangelist, which is right, but I'm not an evangelist, I'm not to share my faith with people. That's a lie. 
The lie is that just because you say you're not an evangelist, you think that you don't have the right to share your faith with people. And that's a lie from hell. Because honestly, when you look at the book of Acts and you look back at all these disciples, they, like people were added every day, but everyone went house to house and people shared their faith. They didn't share their faith only, they shared their stuff. They shared their, their clothes, they shared their food, they shared their houses, they shared it all. And so I just wanna like really go after this very thing and, and take that word evangelism and really just, just open it up. Because honestly, it means a preacher of the good news. So you can have the office of evangelist, but the office of evangelist is to equip the saints for the works of ministry. And so what I want to do is I want to make sure that everybody understands their identity as a saint before they go to do ministry. Why? Ministry is actually serving others. It's actually, it's become about trying to get in front of the pulpit, but we're all to minister to people all day long, wherever we go. Like when I got saved after 22 years of addiction and 34 years in this world, not one person had shared their faith with me actively. I never heard, any, I never heard anybody tell me how much Jesus loved me and the price that he paid for me because I was valuable. I heard people say, man, you're just a horrible sinner or man, you're just like this or you're worthless, you're never gonna be anybody. I heard church people actually say to me, you know, you're never gonna be anybody. And that, that right there didn't, didn't build an anger against God, it built an anger against hypocrisy. Because God would never say that to me. And I had no idea, but people are the representation of Jesus on the earth. Actually, the Bible refers to it. If you look at Ephesians 5, it says, therefore be imitators of God. Now look, what does it mean to be an imitator of God? Well, the first step is walk in love. Being imitator of God and walk in love, dear children, just like Christ did. So we're to be an imitator of Jesus Christ. So you've got God the Father, you've got God the Son, and you've got God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus walked, it was the visible image of the invisible God. So you have Jesus, Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus was the visible image of the invisible God. That's like Jesus. So when you see Jesus, you see exactly what God would be visibly. Like he was the image. When you, when you look at other scriptures, like there's just, so, there's just so many. John 14 is probably one of my favorite when he says I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he says that nobody comes to the Father except by me and the disciples are there and, and they're kind of scratching their heads and they say, well then show us the Father. And Jesus doesn't say, hold on, let me get him. He said, guys, have I been with you so long and you don't know the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? How can you say that? He said, have I been with you so long and you don't know me? Guys, don't you realize that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Don't you realize that the Father is in me and I am in him? How could you say that to me? He's saying, I am come to be the perfect representation of the Father. Jesus was the way of the Father, the truth about the Father, and the life of the Father. He came to reveal God on this planet. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus was the express image of the Father. The express image. I mean, the express, the exact, the visible representation, the exact replica of the Father. So if you see Jesus, you see God. That's so powerful. And Jesus told disciples that were orphans because they couldn't be sons until he was crucified, resurrected, and went to sit at the right hand of God. It's so amazing. But these guys were witnesses. They hung with Jesus. Jesus like, go tell them. 
Go and preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely received. Now freely give. Wow. Look at that commission. He says, go and preach the gospel of the kingdom. What is the gospel of the kingdom? The gospel of the kingdom isn't just the gospel of salvation, meaning escape earth and get to heaven. If the gospel of salvation meant to escape earth and get to heaven, then Jesus would have completely made people disappear when they prayed a prayer of salvation. That's not it. And I know at G12, I know and understand you guys are really going after discipleship. That's amazing. It's really awesome. But the gospel of the kingdom is way bigger than just the gospel that we've preached. Just pray this prayer, write your name, go to church, and have a good life. That's not it. Gospel of the kingdom is where the kingdom of God, that is not meat or drink, Romans 14, 17, but is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, where the actual essence of God, the nature, the divine nature of God, the divine nature of Abba, comes to set up home inside of you, and it's called Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians 1.27, to where God comes inside of you to set up his home from inside. So he doesn't work from outside in, he works from inside out. And as I grow in my union with the Holy Spirit, with communion, co meaning to, union meaning together, if I grow in my communion with the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna live in three different things. The love of the Father. I have to know that God loves me. And I have to know that he is totally head over heels for me. I have to know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I have to know that he has every hair on my head numbered. I have to know that his thoughts outnumber the grain of sand in the whole world. And every thought is for my welfare. I have to know in Jeremiah 29, 11, that he knows the thoughts and plans that he has for me. I mean, all the plans that he has for me are to prosper me. I have to understand that and I have to go after that with everything in me. So I move from the love of the Father. I have to live in that first. Then I have to live in Jesus. The love of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the communion in the Holy Spirit. The grace in the Lord Jesus. Grace means, gosh, the Greek word for grace is charis. And my favorite part of the definition of the Greek word charis is the divine inspiration of God upon the heart with the outward reflection of God upon the life. In other words, he divinely inspires me inside and all of a sudden the reflection outside is God because of the transformative power of grace. So grace and truth came through Jesus. Not just truth, but grace came. Grace is like the fuel that fills my car, or the fuel that fills my engine. Grace is God's willingness to forgive me, God's willingness to empower me, God's willingness to, to share words of knowledge for me, with me, to share prophetic words for people. Grace is God's ability to never get tired or never grow weary in doing good, because God's grace comes and enables me to completely go after this thing and to be eternally focused at all times and in all seasons. Seasons, no matter what, be ready in season and out all the time. That is not just for evangelists. This is for Christians. So the grace of Jesus comes. Grace without transformation isn't grace at all because grace is transformative in nature. It is, it is completely, it completely comes 
with kingdom ability to transform whatever it touches. And so grace empowers me to walk out what truth calls me to. Truth came through Jesus. So when I read this word, I'm actually looking at, at God when I look at the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So when I look at the word, God, in Psalms 138, verse 2, has elevated, magnified his word above his own name. So when I look into this word, I have to honor the infallibility of this word, and I have to know that there is no way for this word to fail. I have to know that God magnified it above his name, that he's actually elevated above his own name. That's like, that's humongous. So I have to honor the unfailing ability of God's word before I can truly say that I love God. If once I can honor this and put it into the place that God did, because never will this be cut out. It'll always be not one I, not one crossing of a T, nothing. It will never ever go away. It will always be there. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is so powerful. My heart cry is to be able to establish two things. You would know that, you, that God loves you so much that you couldn't help but to share that with everybody. And that you would know that you love yourself. Because if I can get you to the place where you love God with everything in you, and I can get you to love yourself, to forgive yourself, I promise you that loving your neighbor is the byproduct of that. And it doesn't matter who it is, because Jesus said, your neighbor and he used a pretty hard example between the Samaritan and the Jew, which didn't even talk. He used the biggest conflict there possibly could. I mean, like, Jesus took in tax collectors as disciples, and that would be a major, major big deal. But he showed love even in his discipleship process and the people that he chose. This is so amazing. Let me just pray. Jesus, I ask you to help us to make sense of what it means to actually talk to people about the Lord. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being able to share my view on what we call evangelism. But God, my answer to that is I call it a normal Christian lifestyle or a lifestyle of Christianity. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Wow. Okay, all that stuff, I, I poured out a lot of scripture just out of my heart there. If I can start with the love of God, so, so for me, I had no understanding of God's love for me. I had no idea that there was a loving God. And, and what I thought before Christ came into my life, that if there was a God, he was in control of all these bad things that were happening and maybe some of the good things. But basically I heard Christians say, God's in control. And when you say that, you actually, you, you actually have a filter that's established that anything that happens is God and God knows best even if it's really bad. Well, I'd like to differ with that and say that God is sovereign and God is seated on the throne, but I would tell you that everything that happens on this earth isn't because God controlled it to happen. For instance, the thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy is a huge thing. If, I talked to somebody yesterday actually, I was just witnessing, sharing my faith, and he had, lost, he had lost a daughter, and, and she was really young. And he said, hey, you know what? The Lord's in control. That's the blanket statement of the church because what, what happens is we're, we're trying to communicate with somebody to, to help them through a hard time. And unfortunately, the enemy comes in like a snake in the grass, bites somebody, and he slithers away unscathed, and God takes the rap. 
So yes, God is sovereign and God is holy and God is everything and he's above all things. But no, everything that happens isn't God's will. Sickness, disease is not God's will. If it was God's will, when Jesus was on the earth and he saw somebody that was sick, if he went to heal them, he would be going against his father's will. So obviously, sickness is not the will of God and sickness doesn't come from God. Now, there are people out there that have done horrible things like they have been sexually active in a, in, a, in a bad way, in a sexually immoral way. There has been, there's prostitution, there's all kinds of stuff that's out there and people have venereal diseases and, and they have drug addiction diseases, they have hepatitis C, they have all these different things. And sometimes we say that people are just reaping what they sow. Now let me tell you, you better be very careful with that. Because when I see the reality of what Jesus did, what Jesus sowed, that's the benefit that I'm supposed to be reaping. See, if I'm not born again, I have no idea. And of course, there's the law of reaping and sowing. And there still is the law of reaping and sowing when you come into the kingdom. But I wanna tell you something really special. See, if I've got a disease in my body because of a drug addiction or because of dirty needles or because of sexual promiscuity, if I've got venereal disease or war or HIV or gonorrhea or something from a life of sin and I've repented and given my life to Jesus. Now, my question is, did Jesus bear the penalty in his body for that sin that I committed? Yes. Did Jesus bear that penalty 2,000 years ago? Absolutely. Since he bore the penalty in his body 2,000 years ago, and he was my propitiation or my substitute, and I am right now going to say, I'm giving my whole life to Jesus, and I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sin. I am making him my Savior, my Lord, my King, my Master, my everything. I am saying yes to God, and I'm giving this life back to him that didn't belong to me to begin with. I repent. In that very moment, that sickness, that disease, that thing that you picked up, that sexually transmitted disease, that blood disorder, that whatever, that my lungs are damaged because of smoking, my brain is damaged because of drugs, my, my body is hurt because of this, because of that. If that stain or that mark is in their body, in their body from a life of sin that they've repented over, where they've been will never judge them. So how can what's in their body still judge them? It's not able to because the cross, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the healing of God is there for them. So you can either choose to reap what you've sown or you can reap what God sown. And God sowed his one and only son so that whoever would believeth in him wouldn't perish but would have eternal life. So now I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I reap the benefit of God sowing his son and completely, completely wiping out every transgression against me. When I came into the kingdom, that was the case for me. See, when I got born again, I was 22 years into drug addiction, 34 years into my life. And some of you have heard my testimony, but just to understand, I, I lived a horrible life and I picked up some stuff along the way. I picked up some, some disorders. I picked up 
all kinds of stuff in my brain. I picked up all kinds of stuff in my lungs. I picked up stuff in my lungs. I picked up stuff in my kidneys. I picked up stuff because of drugs, because of that lifestyle, man. I was trashed up. But when I came to Jesus and I found out that God loved me, point A, God's love. When I found out that God loved me, everything changed. Everything changed. I mean, first of all, I didn't think that I deserved it, just like most people. And a lot of Christians today think that I'm just very thankful that God even thinks of me. And that is not the picture that Christ painted. And that's not what the good book says, actually. That's what people's opinions say, because they've mattered, they've mattered least to a lot of people. You matter most. Everybody matters most to God. Everybody. Because God equally loves every one of his people the same. Whether you're a Christian or not, God still loves you. But when you come into union with a God of love, all of a sudden you become the very essence of what you came into union with. That's love itself. Powerful. So I come, I come to God on my own terms, not on his terms. God's terms are surrender. My terms were incorporate. God's terms are completely surrender. I went out, was suicidal, was going to shoot myself, was with my girl for nine years at the end of a horrible life of being brought across America in shackles and chains and, and just hurt so many people, hurt my daughter for seven and a half years, hurt my girlfriend for nine years, kicked out of the military, in and out of jail, horrible, horrible stuff. Finally, my girlfriend gets fed up. I had threatened to hurt her. I threatened to kill her, actually, for seven years of my daughter's life. She gets fed up. She's out of there. She's not going to stay. She's gone. But I don't know if she's gone until I get home. I find out she's gone when I get home. I drive to her stepdad's house to get a rifle. I'm going to shoot myself. Instead of getting a gun, I opened a phone book. The phone book opened to churches. I drove to a church. I met a pastor. I had no encounters with pastors weren't my people. I wasn't a churchgoer or a Christian. So I went there and I talked to this guy and let him have it. Just told him all my junk and then told him, you know, you guys are liars and God's not real. And basically he said, this is a church. Let me tell you about Jesus. I said, I don't want to hear about Jesus. He insisted. And then he looked at me and he heard that I was suicidal and I was just going to take my life. And he said this word to me. These words. He said, since you don't want your life, why don't you give it to somebody that does? I couldn't understand why anybody would want the life that I had lived and want the things that I brought into the world. And that right there was too much for me to even, to even grasp. And he kept telling me about this Jesus. Then he told me about his life and what God did for him. And, and even though he told me how horrible he was, I couldn't picture this man being horrible. And I was looking at somebody that was completely different in front of me. I was looking at a new creation. One that was already nine years in. I was looking at a man that was twisted in his testimony. I thought it was a story, but really it's a testimony. And what I didn't understand is that when you share your testimony, you impregnate the very air for that very testimony to happen again in the next person's life. You create hope because we're ambassadors of hope that are ambassadors of reconciliation, reconciling people back to the Father, not imputing their trespasses against them. How can I preach a gospel that doesn't impute trespasses against you if I don't even believe that the trespasses against me have been removed? Ooh, 
That's really huge. We have to believe that God forgave us and forgot what he forgave. Because God doesn't just take our sin and just forgive it. God removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And that is ultimately the most amazing final verdict from heaven. I didn't understand this though. But this man kept telling me, why don't you give your life to somebody that wants it? So I said, whatever, he can have it. So I really, 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 really damaged a lot of people. I went home that day and I told my girlfriend, I called my girlfriend, I called my daughter, I said, tell mommy, daddy found God. She said, what's he like? I said, I don't know, but this pastor says his God's gonna change your daddy's life. And so man, my, my girlfriend, she did not wanna come home, but my daughter made her come home. And she gets home and she says, now you're a liar and you're a hypocrite too. And I said, no way, I would never be a hypocrite because see, I despised hypocrites my whole life. I hated hypocrites. That's why I couldn't stand Christianity more than any other religion on the planet. It's crazy. You can't, you, I thought, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. You can't hate something that's not real. Like people say they're atheists, that I hate, I hate God. You can't hate a God that you don't believe in because if you don't believe in him, you can't hate him because he's not there, there's nothing to hate. It's crazy. So I'm, I'm sitting there, my, my girlfriend comes home, I tell her everything's gonna change, and then an hour and a half, I'm out doing a cocaine binge again after I put my daughter to bed. And then five and a half months later, same thing, night after night after night, she's keeping her up every night on the couch, my daughter waiting for daddy to come home. And finally, five and a half months in, I go out, I rip off a dealer, he's in my car, he gets out of the car, and he unloads a nine millimeter at me. I told him I was a cop, he wasn't buying it. As the gun blast came out, I heard an audible voice say, I took those bullets for you. Are you ready to live for me yet? I didn't even understand what live for me means, let alone the gun blast not hitting me because see, I thought for sure I'm dead, I'm hearing voices. I heard voices my whole life. Lots of Christians hear voices. Jesus said, my sheep will hear and obey my voice and a stranger's voice they will not follow. Everybody's hearing voices. It's just how loud are they? And who is the one that's the most loud? Because God, as a father, when you fall in love with him, will be the loudest voice that you can possibly hear. So all of a sudden, I'm like going out of town in a hysteria, trying to get away, trying to get out of here. I gotta get out of here, I'm dying, I'm shot. And as I go, I realize that there's not one bullet in me. I don't feel any pain. And I had a soft top on my Jeep, so I wouldn't have heard glass break unless it went through the windshield. And so I get home after this binge of trying to get high and every time I tried to get high, that voice killed my buzz because God loved me that much to not let me get high again. I pulled in my driveway and there was not one bullet hole in my car. I went to the door and she was screaming at me. My girlfriend was, my daughter was screaming. I went away to a program called Teen Challenge. I was there for, for, three, for two months actually. The Bible became the first book that I could read. It became the first book that I could understand in my whole life. So 34 years old, couldn't read, had dyslexia, bipolar, manic depression, severe depression, anxiety over the top, on medication, everything. And Jesus reveals himself through his word. And you know what he said? First words out of his, out of, uh, out, that I understood in the Bible was in James. It says, consider it joy when you face various trials. And I thought, I hate trials. This is the dumbest thing ever. And this little tiny voice said, that's because you're always guilty. And I said, I am always guilty. It's stupid. I'm like, always guilty. I'm in an orange jumpsuit with shackles on. I'm guilty every time. And the voice said, 
I say you're not guilty. And I dismissed it. I thought, that's so dumb. I'm always guilty. I moved on and I saw a scripture that says, if you lack wisdom, ask God. And I said, that's it. I don't have any wisdom. I have no wisdom. Oh my God. No wisdom. And I started celebrating. And I jumped around and celebrated that I have no wisdom. It was like this huge moment in my life, this monumental marker, this milestone that I was clueless. And God turned the lights on in my heart and the Bible started to make sense. It started to, I just started to devour it. But it started in that place of I'm not guilty. Now, when Jesus paid the price on the cross for us, he didn't pay a price for us to be continued. He paid a price and said it is finished. He didn't say to be continued and gave up the ghost. He said it is finished. Me trying to get to God through my works, me trying to get to God through my tradition, me trying to get to God through me being good enough, me trying to fulfill the law which was unfulfillable except Jesus was the one that fulfilled it. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That day in my life, my whole everything changed. I realized that I was no longer guilty. This is the number one, the number one mindset that is responsible for every Christian being able to share their faith. The reality of not being guilty not being ashamed, and not being condemned. That right there, and not living in regret, those, that mindset, not guilty, not ashamed, not condemned. Guilt, shame, and condemnation, regret, is all demonic strategy set up to get you to never share your faith. I love to be able to share my faith, but every time I do, it's because I'm not guilty. I am not guilty. You can't bring what I used to do back on me because that guy died and it doesn't exist. Literally, if old things have passed away and all things have become new, what gives me the right to think that I can put flesh on old things? No, they've passed away. God is, is really, I mean, this, this is like the biggest thing. Some people say, well, you're, you're hitting that a little hard. I will never back off. I meet more Christians that are guilty, ashamed, and condemned in my life. I meet them all the time. It's not okay. If I were to take a poll, or take a toll of hands, of how many people, how many people would have revisited their past sometime during the last week, you would see an upwards of 90-some percent of people that are tormented from a voice of yesterday. But if we see what righteousness means and what it means to be right with God, we will never look back again and we'll be able to share our faith boldly with everybody that we meet. Why? Because we will confidently believe that Jesus actually does forgive. He doesn't just forgive a little, he forgives completely. You know, you have that lady in Luke 7, she busts in, Jesus is in the house. And she busts in and she breaks this alabaster jar. A year's worth of wages are in that jar. She busts it open. She anoints Jesus' feet with her tears, with her hair, with the ointment. And the Pharisee is like, what is this man doing? If he knew what kind of woman this was, he, if he was really a prophet, he would never let her touch him. But Jesus, he said he knew what they were thinking. He said, Simon, suppose you have two. One owes this much and one owes this much. And the master freely forgave both of them which one would love more. 
He said, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave much. Why? Because he has all that that he doesn't have to pay back. What about this one over here? He still has that much that he doesn't have to pay back. And he says, this woman whose sins are many, understand that the church for a long time has said that because of my testimony, because of how horrible my life was, the reason why I love much because of how much I've been forgiven. But you don't understand whether you're a drug addict or you're a good person, whether you've only missed one law or you've missed 613 and 10. You and I both miserably failed all of them because God's law says that if you transgress one, you have completely missed everyone. You didn't let, you missed them all. So I missed them all and you missed them all. See, we are so used to comparing one to another saying you were way worse than I was. But really, we were all sinners. We all fell short of the glory of God. Jesus came to restore our rightful identity, to bring us back to the Father so that you and I, through the cross, could come to him completely forgiven for all of our sin was completely washed away. All of our shame was completely washed away. That is amazing. And so I believe I'm forgiven. Therefore, I love much. See, he who's forgiven much loves much. But if you don't know how much you've been forgiven, you can only love in accordance to how forgiven you really are. And that is true. And that's why the church can't love much because they don't believe how much they've been forgiven. They keep going back trying, back trying to fix things that they cannot fix. You can't go back and fix things you wish you'd never done. You have to believe that Jesus sowed his life so you could reap what he sowed and not what you sowed. It's so important. The gospel is beautiful. You know, at Teen Challenge, I, the Bible opened up. I had three nights where I had encounters with Jesus. And then when I came home from this place, I just needed to say I was sorry. And when I got to my house, I, I didn't have a real place to live yet, but I told my daughter how sorry I was and she's holding me. I told my girlfriend how sorry I was. She looked at me and said, I know you are. When you went away, I gave my life to Jesus. Immediately, the conviction hit my heart that we must be married. She mentioned it first. We agreed that we would get married a couple of days later in between first and second service. It was beautiful. That was 16 years ago this year. We've been married for 16 years. We have a 23-year-old, a 13-year-old, a nine-year-old, a three-and-a-half-year-old that we adopted, and another nine-month-old that we're in the process of adopting right now. God is amazing. But I've lived 16 years without guilt, shame, condemnation, and offense. When I got into the car and that Uber driver, she was there. I got in there. Now she's from Colombia, which is amazing. I love this. I thought about this today. How perfect is this? When I got into the car, I started to share my testimony, what I just shared with you. Because the greatest place for a Christian to witness is out of their own testimony. Because no matter what you're in front of, no matter who you're talking to, there is nothing that they can say to take away what really happened to you. I would encourage you to start with that. It's easy. Start with your testimony, no matter what you think it is. There was a time when you were lost and then you got found, where you were blind and you see. That point right there, share who Jesus really is to you and what he did for you. Because it will produce a hunger inside of that person, whether they show it or not, that there is hope right here. You're an ambassador of that. So I'm sharing this with that lady and she goes, wow, that's amazing. And I, I said, yeah, I said, and my wife was with me. And I said, you know, I said, God loves you so much. She goes, oh, I, I wish this. And I said, you wish this? And I said, well, I said, when's the last time you went home? 
She says, I cannot go back. And I said, why can't you go back? And she shared some things that, that would keep her from coming back into the country. Then she shared with me that her father was murdered in, in some kind of corruption thing, was really bad. And I said, oh my gosh, I'm sorry to hear that. And she goes, and 10 years ago, my husband was murdered in my lap. And it could have had to do with the cartel, I believe it had something to do with that. And I said to her, I said, honey, I am so sorry that all this has happened to you. I said, there's hope in Jesus. There's hope. And I started out, and the video starts out by me saying, I was full of anxiety because she was sharing to me how anxious she is and how full of worry she is. It's fear. It, it, it completely grips the whole world. And we don't have to live in fear. We have not been given a spirit of fear. See, if fear is knocked out by the perfect love of God, then we have to start with point A that I've been sharing the whole time with you. God's love for you. If perfect love casts out all fear, and all fear is cast out in perfect love, we need to step into God's perfect love for us. And it comes through Jesus. It comes through the finished work. It comes through the open arms of a loving father that doesn't hold your past against you. And he doesn't hold your transgressions against you. He wants you to see that he paid the price for you. So I'm sharing with this lady and she goes, this sounds wonderful. I, I don't know how I could have this. I said, well, Jesus, he died for you too. And she said, how? And I shared the reality of the cross with her. I just shared the gospel. And she's crying. And she says to me, oh, I, I wish this. She kept saying, I, I wish this. I hope this could be for me. And I said to her, I said, honey, I said, Jesus didn't exclude you out. When he came 2,000 years ago, it said for the joy that was set before him, he pursued the cross. Guess what that joy was that was for Jesus? She said, who? I said, you. She said, how? I said, because God knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He sees all things. And he knew you and knit you in your mother's womb. God loves you. If God can love me, he can love anybody. And she looked at me and she said, what do I need to do to have this Jesus? Oh, that's so good. I just sat there and thought, this is the most amazing. See, I was depressed. I was full of anxiety. She proceeded to tell me that she, over the last 10 years, she's lived here by herself for 10 years. And she said over the last 10 years, she's had a gun in her, a pistol in her mouth more than 20 times, ready to pull the trigger. And I said, oh honey, your life is so worth the blood of Jesus. See, the cross isn't, gosh, the cross is the value system of heaven. See, the price that was paid for you determines your value. And heaven went bankrupt to get you back. And Jesus Christ paid with his life for yours, to ransom yours and to redeem yours and to take your life out of that pit so that you could actually live and have a life that's abundant and you could be in Christ and you could actually have the joy of the Lord. So this lady looked at me and she said to me, she says, I want this Jesus. I said, let's pray together. All we're gonna do is put our faith in what Jesus did. And she said, okay, and we pulled over at the hotel because we were, she was taking us back from the breakfast. This was all in about an eight minute, no, I would say 15 minute period of time. So we're at the hotel in the parking lot and that's where this video is um, because we're parked. And I'm sharing my faith with her and she's praying with me and she says, what is this? 
after she prays, she says, what is this, this, this feeling? I, I have this thing. I, I feel light like I'm like an airplane up in the sky. I, I feel like I'm flying. The weight of sin was taken off of her shoulders. The weight of the world was taken off of her. Jesus said, if anybody would come to me, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened down by life, come to me and I will give you rest. That's what he says. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find rest for your soul. Our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions need to live in the rest that Jesus Christ paid a price for. Our mind is supposed to be in Sabbath all the time. We are supposed to be in Shabbat right here on a constant basis. Jesus is king. And so as I'm talking to her, she keeps explaining to me, my blood, it, I can feel my blood right now. And the presence of God was all over her. And so I'm sharing the good news and the gospel. We prayed for her. Her back got healed. Her neck got healed. I think it was her knee that got healed too. All three things got completely restored. And she felt fire in her blood the whole way down. I don't know if there was anything in there. But I know that God redeems even the blood. It's powerful. So my next step is to make sure that I can get her plugged in to a local church. So I called the pastor that was in Miami, because that's where she's from. I called the church down there and got her plugged in so that she could speak with somebody that spoke Spanish just like her. And they sat there and carried on a conversation. The gospel isn't complicated. It's all about sharing your life with other people. It's about you becoming the living bread of life yourself and making sure that you give people what's really good to eat. We need to understand that Jesus requires full surrender and full submission. We need to understand that he doesn't want just part of your life. He wants your whole life. Before you can evangelize and share your faith, make sure that you first surrender to God and give him your everything. Because he doesn't want just part of you, and he doesn't want you out there just working for him. God's not looking for people that will work the field. He's looking for co-laborers, co-laborers that would actually co-labor with God to get the job done. The job is easy. It's to populate heaven and, and fill heaven and, and, and leave hell empty. Hell empty and heaven full. Guys, you can share your faith, but first you have to be confident with who God has created you to be. This is really easy. Jesus, I ask you to overwhelm people right now. That I would ask you to make them hungry to share their faith. And don't let anybody out of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for tuning in. Before you go, make sure to click the follow button so you never miss what's new. We would love to connect with you. You can follow us on Instagram at G12Church and share with us how this message has impacted you. Until next time.